morning. Welcome to the Calories and Rice podcast, a perfectly pastoral China-Africa podcast, broadcasting from the heart of global China-Africa research, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Winslow Robertson, and I will be joined by the entrepreneurial Dr. Enkem Jika Kalu. Dr. Kalu, what fantastic business ideas do you have rolling around in your head? I've actually recently, well, as in recently being last night, I was talking to manufacturers and farmers in Nebraska about opportunities for farming and food processing in Africa. So that's just one of the many different business ideas. So you're going to be bringing, you know, a proud farming and manufacturing tradition to Africa? Probably more processing than manufacturing because I'd like to empower like local producers. So if we had a processing center that would purchase from, you know, purchase products or, you know, raw agricultural um, goods from the farmers and thus giving them money and supporting them, but also benefiting from it, that would be kind of exciting. I don't have the capital for that now, but it's it's one of the things that I'm mulling. Well, if, if any of our listeners, you know, have a million dollars lying around, <laughs> I, we, you have Dr. Kalu's contact information. All right. Today's episode is brought to you by our two sponsors, Africa Development Jobs and the Africa Daily. African Development Jobs, a site run by Nino Duro. Oh, by the way, Nino Duro is on um, blogging Ghana's like best Ghana blogs. So go vote for her. She's our sponsor. So do that, please. And I'll, I'll put the link somewhere wherever I, I find this. African Development Jobs uh, seeks to connect development workers with professional development resources and work opportunities in Africa. On a quest to help diversify development, it highlights the voices and issues of Africans and the diaspora in the field. It is also the best site for finding employment in the development field in Africa that I know of. The Africa Daily is an online communications platform that provides the most up-to-date journalistic and academic information on China-Africa relations. The forum incorporated in the website also facilitates the cultural and informational exchange among the diaspora communities in major Chinese and African cities. Just want to let you guys know, the Africa Daily, I believe, is taking a brief hiatus as they as they redo the website, but they're still the best China-Africa website there is. So even if they're not being updated now, just trust me on this. Keep, uh, bookmark their site. As a bizarre celebration of International Women's Day, which already took place on Saturday, March 8th, we here at Cowries and Rice are doing a month-long examination of what it's like being an Asian woman in Africa. Why not women generally? Because Winslow thought this out rather poorly. And the pod will spend a month on being an African woman in China in the future. This week we will have one guest from the Chinese private sector. Well, uh, Chinese... Well, are you, private sector uh, development? What, what, do you, what do you consider yourself? Development uh, is more... Uh, I'm working with a French NGO, actually. So a... A Chinese citizen working in the NGO sector share her experiences. Yeah. Miss Lin Yiran, program manager of social water management at oh my gosh, Solidarité International. Did I say that right? Yeah. I, yeah, it's Solidarité International, but it's okay. Uh, oh yes, yeah. All right. Uh, as our listeners know, I cannot pronounce French or German or <laughs> basically any foreign language. That job is usually left to me. <laughs> <laughs> so what what Iran said and she's currently based in Goma, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Miss Lin is, has extensive experience in the field of public health and Chinese environmental regulation in Africa, having produced a chapter in French for Focal number no. 9 in 2012, which was edited by G. Van Vallée and G. Magrine 
This volume was titled "The Environmental Challenges of Facing uh, the Environmental Challenges Facing a Chinese Oil Company in Chad." Yiran, welcome to the pod. Uh, hi. Okay, am I uh, saying your name right? Just one thing. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Excuse me. Just uh, just I'm not being difficult. Just um, the the book was uh edited by G. Van Fleet and G. Magran. Yes. Thank you. You're not being difficult. Feel free to correct me because yeah. I'm terrible at this. Am I saying your name right? Yes. Thank you. Well, happy International Women's Day. As an actual Chinese woman, how do you celebrate? Well, how did you celebrate? And how do you usually celebrate? Well, actually, uh, the, the, this um, International Women's Day in Goma was uh, the first time actually I celebrated. Why? Because um, uh, I, I, um, it, uh, International Women's Day is not a big thing uh, in every country. And I found it's a big thing here, and it was a big thing uh, back home in China. Uh, but actually, when I left China, I didn't really consider myself as, um, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, be able to celebrate this day. I was quite, I was young. And uh, this time, actually, um, our organization, uh, as a tradition, offered all women employees the same African fabric, you know, with the same uh, color, everything. And everyone went to the tailors and made her dress. And on this day, we, we dressed up all together uh, and uh, had lunch and had a very interesting debate on women's, women's rights in Congo. That sounds like a serious, serious celebration. Yeah. Wow. Well, what what yeah. did you conclude about women's rights in Congo? Well, <laughs> uh, we actually uh, have uh, all the female employees and some of the wives of our male colleagues. You know, most of uh, the most of the topics about women's rights at home. Uh, actually, how how to balance their their relationship with their husbands and a lot of you know cultural. Uh, and traditional aspects uh, was very not very easy you know, for Congolese women, and I found it was very interesting because uh, I, some somehow I, I found Chinese society is very, you know, male deciding, male leading too. Um, yeah, so and we're some of them exchange like techniques, you know, how to talk to your husband. Quick, tell me these techniques so my wife won't trick me into doing stuff. That I don't want to do. Oh, I'm not telling you that. No. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. Wow. I mean, that that sounds like a real, uh, a fantastic way to celebrate International Women's Day and to you know build solidarity amongst the ladies. Well, yeah, exactly. could you tell us a little bit of, more about what you are up to and your interest in Africa? Uh, I'm now working for a French NGO. His name is uh, Solidarité Internationale, and we work in uh, water sanitation programs uh, projects uh, in many countries in the world. And uh, I'm now uh, working on a project. Uh, social, it's called social water management. Uh, it means uh, we work with local um, social water management and uh, sanitation management uh, committees in villages in the North Kivu and doing trainings and uh, more following ups. Um, yeah, it's very interesting, uh, very interesting project. 
Sounds sounds like it. Wow. Well, all right. Uh, moving on. In this episode, we want to discuss topics that almost never come up in the China Africa discussion: gender, race, and perception. We have broached these topics before, but we wanted to get a really meaty discussion involving as many voices as we could find. To that end, we have an actual Asian woman on the podcast. Yes, I have stated all these, all this in a previous podcast, and the questions I'm going to ask are the same as well. Sue me. Let's get to it. Would you kindly tell us about your background? Answer that question any way you wish. Uh, I was born in China and uh, grew up in China. I'm from a city called Tianjin.、Uh, Tianjin is not far from Beijing on the east coast. Just、um, look at、um, on the map, and、uh, <laughs> from Beijing towards the sea, and you will find my city.、Um, what else? My background? Yeah, I studied in Shanghai、uh, for three years, and then、uh, went to France、uh, to continue my studies. After、uh, I went to France for for exchange program at first, then stayed for master degree,、uh, also in international studies. Then after that, I, I I think I grew my my interest or my passion for Africa in France, totally in France, and、um, so I went to、uh, Chad for a research program right right after that, and. I kind of also grew my interest for inter-、uh, for humanitarian work、uh, when I was studying in France. So after and I was really I really wanted to do emergency aid everything. So after that I went to I went to Haiti for after the earthquake and for the cholera emergency and、um, and now I'm in Goma and working in a kind of emergency、uh, context. Wow. So Chad, Haiti, and the DRC; those are interesting places to start the career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. So we're really interested in understanding how, I guess, the sorts of experiences that you've had as a Chinese woman in Africa. So I'm going to ask questions, obviously, along those lines.、Um, do you feel that your background affects the way that you're perceived in Congo, and could you? Share some stories and examples along those lines. Well, well, there are thing. There are two different things.、Um, you know, it's、um, I'm Chinese, so like it's、uh, it's obvious I have a Chinese face. Everything. There are two ways. I think there are two different understandings when people see me, and because I I lived in and worked in French、uh, for quite a long time, and got. This kind of Asian Parisian <laughs> accent in French. So、uh, my colleagues actually at the beginning when they see me, they will see、uh, Chinese, but most of them they thought they think that I'm from France. Actually, I was born or grew up in France. And、um, this kind of sometimes it makes me、um, nervous or I don't make me angry sometimes. But then I you know I actually need to explain, like hi, I'm I'm actually from China. I grew up. I'm made in China. Uh, and also that 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 sentence always makes people laugh. Yeah, and、um, the other thing,、uh, the other way people see me, I I don't know.、Um, they will, of course they will call me、uh, foreigner. They will call me Muzungu here, or like in Haiti they call me、um, they call me、uh, blonde and、uh, like white directly. I think in Chad there were some other expression.、Uh, it was. 
difficult at the beginning for me because you know in China we call foreigners lao wai and there's also you know everything comes with it. What do you mean? I, I would I would like to state for the record I hate the term lao wai and I much prefer wai guoren. <laughs> but yes, I, I I I know what it's like to be called something you don't appreciate. Yeah. yeah. Then you know um, I think compared to what I lived, I don't know if I lived here. Yeah. Anyway, compared to France, because in France people I identify me as Chinese or Chinese French uh, French uh, with Chinese origins. So they actually call me Chinois, uh, or kids, they will call you sometimes Chinois. And I felt offended, you know, back to France when I was a student. But here, when, actually, when the kids call me Chinese, I'm happy. I'm very happy that, hey, yeah, you see it. I'm not white. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, or, you know, I think all Chinese or Chinese diasporas get this ching chung chong, uh, you know, some, somewhere on the street in the, in the foreign country or at primary school when they are not in China. Uh, but here, actually, this is the first time, you know, I, I'm happy when someone actually says ching chung chong or makes some kung fu gestures to me. Yeah. Yeah. We at the Cowards and Rice podcast do not condone the phrase ching chung chong. <laughs> Well, let everybody know. Yeah, but um, but I think it's also people are sometimes uh, confused, or you know, when I speak English or French to them, or most of most of the time French, they'll be surprised, or because they don't, you know, they will say, ah, you're from China, why do you speak French? You're so weird, you know, because most, you know, you're weird, <laughs> you know, because yeah, you can speak English, it's kind of normal, you know, it's an international language. Why do you speak French? How and uh, you know have you can see these question marks on their face, on their faces, and then they'll say, yeah, you know, I, I studied, I, I lived a long time in France, you know, it's normal, everything. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's 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 terrific. Well, how did your treatment in Goma compare to back home, wherever home is? Well, um, <clears throat> here, uh, well, in in Goma, you know, I'm a foreigner, so I've I think I have this. Uh, attention uh, from everyone people you know when you talk uh, when you talk they will look at you and also if when they when they hear a Chinese face you know a Chinese person speaking French people will look at you or you know especially when I try to speak some Swahili they will just laugh I think there are a lot of attentions here and also you know I'm considered as rich since I'm a Muzungu somehow it's an expatriate <laughs> and yeah um, I think I you know, back home, I don't know, back home, I'm just one of the other Chinese people. We're many and uh, everywhere in in China. So I, I realized that, I actually, I realized that when I finished uh, my mission in, in Haiti, uh, I went home, I've, uh, I went home, I stayed some several months in Beijing and I was kind of disappointed. I don't know how, you know, this, you were kind of the star everywhere you go and the kids will go around you <laughs> and the people, the servers um, in restaurants, they will be very kind of, uh, or sometimes they won't, you know, sometimes because you're a foreigner, they don't like you, but you have this attention from everyone, from everywhere. But at home, you know, just, you know, I'm just another Chinese girl. I go to market, I go with my mom and uh, no one will treat me special. No, I don't have this special treatment anymore. So that's I, very, very different for me. Yeah. 
and uh, yeah, I think I like it both. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I hope I can less attention um, in when I'm in in Africa. I hope I actually I hope sometimes that the people pay less attention to me. <laughs> it's tiring sometimes. From what I gathered so far, you work with a lot of nationals with uh, um, Solidarité Internationale. How do you, with regards to like the typical foreigner in your profession, how do you compare to him or her? And could you describe, you know, who or what they would be and what their background would be? Yeah. I, I, I thought actually for, for a while about this question. Um, I, I don't think there's a typical foreigner because now uh, where I'm working and, uh, and there were a lot of foreigners there, we have uh, European colleagues, uh, American colleagues, Latin American colleagues, uh, African colleagues, Asian colleagues, uh, in general, working in development or humanitarian work. Uh, so it's very difficult to, you know, to to analyze a, a typical foreigner, uh, since you know by by definition we're expatriates, so we are foreigners <laughs> to the country. Well, if I have to compare uh, myself to them. Um, a lot of my colleagues are from France or other uh, French-speaking uh, uh, countries. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I, I think I know. I always identify myself uh, as Chinese, or you know, Chinese. When when we talk about uh, food, it's very. Um, you know, for me, <laughs> most difficult thing for me uh, to go. Um, Go on international uh, international uh, missions with humanitarian organizations was actually food. You know, I have to have rice a certain amount of rice per week, or I have I need to have uh, soy sauce with me uh, to I don't know to 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 make kind of security for myself uh, or uh, to make sure that I feel home or I you know I live I can work well. I'm, Happy, you know. If I don't eat rice for several days, I get really mad. This, this, this sector, and humanitarian aid or development sector, you have actually everyone. You have people who who study technical, who did technical studies, or people did social studies, economic studies, people. I don't know, or most of us had uh, international experience before when we were um, uh, when we were we were students. So and you know we like to work in foreign countries. That's where I think we we have in common. Uh, yeah. Iran, <laughs> can you explain how has the evolving China Africa relationship affected how you are perceived? Well, I think that. And, um, enough time in Africa uh, to see the change uh, from year to year. You know, I had a very short, I had a, just four months experience in Chad and now I'm, it's been six months I'm in the DRC. Definitely, I think I'm affected by the evolving China-Africa relationship. Ways that I can find a Chinese community everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so you can get your rice and soy sauce easier was very important for me that I realized, of course, um, uh, by after I started working um, 
that for me it was very important to talk to be able to talk to someone in Chinese, except my parents or uh, or my friends. Why does that matter? I'm, I'm, could you let our audience know? Yes. The thing is, um, you know, French is my second foreign language after English, and actually, I realized when I was in France, I was speaking French in school, and most of the time I was listening. You know, I was in the, taking notes. And after school, you know, with friends you talk or, but after afterwards, after the day, the day uh, I got I get home, thanks to Chinese and I cook Chinese, and I had this kind of balance, you know, about languages. But now, when I work in in uh, in, uh, in French speaking countries, it means like I'll see my call, uh, my flatmates. We will talk in French. From breakfast, it's in French, so your life is totally in French. So in in when I work, I started work today. All my colleagues talk in French, speak French, and after work, when I see my friends or I, you know, I had dinner, I still need to speak French, and it was um, it's just tiring sometimes. <laughs> so for me, it was very um, in all these for these three countries I I, I uh, worked in. Um, I was always very uh, enchanted or happy uh, to find a Chinese community or find someone just, you know, I can talk about food or talk about whatever, any subject in Chinese, just kind of take risks from technique. <laughs> I want to add to that. It, how did the Chinese community view you as somebody who is not... I mean, were you seen as a member of the Chinese community, and and how did uh, people in chat or people in DRC view you? Were you were you a, uh, a French foreigner or were you a Chinese foreigner? I think as I, in general, I'm, even uh, back home, I think people get uh, find difficult to find to understand what I'm actually doing. You know, humanitarian work. Oh, that's United Nations. No, no, you know, I have to explain what the NGO is, uh, what are we working in, what am I doing. For our audience understanding, like, why is explaining an NGO difficult in China? Oh, uh, because there are not a lot of many NGOs in China. And uh, this uh, charity work, I, I think it's just, we just started in China, you know, uh, several years ago after one of the earthquakes. You have now Yijijin, uh, one of the foundation, private kind of fund charity foundations was very strong right now. And I think um, also relates, relates my work a lot of with the Red Cross. But the problem in China is um, chi uh, Chinese Red Cross kind of uh, credibility um, after several scandals uh, years ago. Uh, several Actually, I worked for French Red Cross also in Haiti, but the, the, you know, my friends were like, why are you working for the Red Cross? <laughs> you know, you know, thing is, you know, it's not the same, everything. So, um, it's always, um, I think, I don't know, actually, ask them, but I know in culture, you don't really ask people what, they, what do they think about you uh, like that directly, and they wouldn't probably answer directly. But from the way that um, I get introduced to other Chinese people of by my, you know, my the first Chinese uh, uh, friends I, I made, um, they would say, "Ah, oh, she, she's the one, you know, she's the one doing uh, humanitarian work in, with men." Who's that? 
kind of go uh, to need to explain what kind of uh, work I'm doing, what, what is NGO compared to the UN. And people find, I think, I don't know, I think, I don't know um, if it's interesting, why working in the in this sector, not in private, because there are a lot of Chinese young people working in the private sector in Africa now. And, uh, and oh, yeah, you're doing something good. We're proud of you. There's some comments I get. <laughs> oh, wow, that's lovely. Very lovely. That's great. Do you have any tips or Asian women with regards to living and working in an African country? <laughs> kind of lost it. Um, saying, yeah, I think going back to all women, I think we're um, we we'll have in common, but I think it's very different from country to country at the same time. But uh, from a, a Chinese family, uh, I think to about Africa before you come here because we really Africa we think it's just you know it's the same but it's very country to country uh, and um, just exactly try to your family that's it's not the you know the worst thing you can you enjoy your life here the cultural differences and uh, a lot of things a lot here in in African countries Terrific, terrific. Is is there anything else you would like to add? Um, well, I, I don't know. I talk something about as a Chinese. Probably I'll talk about some mindset as a Chinese uh, young woman. Um, uh, I'm basically 30, so I, I don't know if I'm still young, but, you know, my business always... Uh, my family friends um, working at um, it's for uh, about Afri working in that you know people are thinking wow like you're getting you know the second you get and it's very dangerous you know they feel uh, I, I Chinese uh, kind of they're afraid of African people, black people in general, because they're tall and strong, and we're small and tiny. <laughs> no, you're North Chinese. North Chinese people are tall. Some of the tallest people I ever saw were in Beijing. Yeah, well, that's that's that's. that's um, so no, I, I don't. I can't. I can't. I don't think I can use the word the term racist, but uh, I think you all. I talk to some people or African Americans in China. They know they call their the way they're treated, everything, what people think about them. Um, for me, it's very, it was it was easy to uh, I want to work in Africa and uh, how like I'm actually enjoying my life. And then the thing as for you know. Uh, from or comments from my friends and family, like there are a lot of work in China to do. What have to go that far? That's a good question. Uh, how how do you respond to that? I for that, I don't actually. I just, like um, I don't know if I said it earlier. <laughs> 
my my develop work and for the African continent in general was actually uh, in grew up in France actually uh, because we talked a lot uh, in school you know uh, uh, I, I I did three years in studies in in Shanghai and one you know in <clears throat> But we learn. We know. We never learn about Africa or African countries. What did, what happened? You know, uh, what relations between, between these countries? So when I because France, France is very strong. You know, uh, linked to Africa uh, to all this. You know, former former uh, colonies or with all these countries. So to African countries, regional conflicts, and I. It's because I nothing. So that's why I um I know why am I talking about that again? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. About humanitarian. Also, you know, this a concept of humanitarian aid in a foreign country doesn't really known in China. I think it doesn't exist, or people don't think so. I know, I know Chinese doctors working. With um, doctors uh, with uh, Sanfeng, uh, without borders, Mister mm -hmm. San I think you know in China. Actually, we had you know for an age this this sense. Um, so it was. I I don't I don't know why I, I don't. Um, I think I learn more. I, I gain more work experiences, international experiences, before going back. Um, yeah, that's I think that's why. Do you plan to go back to China and and marry a nice Chinese boy and and give your family some grandkids? Yeah, that's all my parents. Uh, my parents, my yeah, that's all what uh, what is expected. <laughs> um, and now it's very late. As a Chinese girl, um, I'm twenty nine. How old are Chinese women usually when they marry? My friends started married from twenty-five, I think. You know, you know, most of my my friends college, you know, educated, everything, and few people are getting married, and um, yeah, and I'm like kind of out of market, <laughs> <laughs> the marriage market. I meant. Hey, the marriage market in China is brutal. My my wife, when I first met her, was. Was technically was technically on the market for too long. It was a, it's a it's a tough thing, but that was great for me because it just meant less competition for me to charm her. So, uh, thank you, China. No, actually, this this you know there's a lot of pressure from family, from from friends, from the society. Actually, I think my mom actually. Pressure from her friends, you know, uh, or you know, they everyone is asking what's Iran's doing. Why is she still in Africa? Why what was she, like, what's wrong? With her, you know, <laughs> um, I it's very. I, I think um, I found it's very difficult, except especially when I turned twenty six. You know, actually, you have this, uh, stronger pressure on you towards you. Uh, you know, get married, have a kid. Uh, you know, have a stable life. It's, I'm not saying that. Um. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there, there's, there's definitely 
Chinese families that don't put that sort of pressure on you and, and have very loving relationships with their children and, and understand they have other dreams. Yeah, but the thing, the moment I recognize, I realize I'm actually out of market, you know, before, because uh, I think it was, I started when I was 19, friends of my family started to set me up, you know, with blind dates, well, the boy they consider to be, you know, compared to me, you know, most of the time they, they, they will present a resume actually what he studied, where he's doing everything, you did which school and he did which school, and uh, you know, he's good match. Um, it's, it's not, actually, it stopped when I turned to turn 26. Because uh, my friends say, oh, I'm so sorry, we don't have someone for her, uh, because, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh so hard. No, you, the thing is, oh, she, you know, she, she studied, she has, you know, she has a master degree in France, it's too much, and she speaks two, three languages, it's too much, and also she works actually in Africa, it's like, very, I, I, I try not to talk about it, in the, when I'm in China, especially the social environment, when I meet young people. I try to, yeah, 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 you know, I was studying in France, I'm, I'm jobless, I'm hit now, you know, because it's weird, I, I see people, how people, you know, their expressions on their face when they hear, like, uh, I actually worked in humanitarian work in, in, in Africa, somewhere else, you know, that's weird. Wow, that's 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 phenomenal, and and thank you so much for for giving such a, a, a frank insight in, into your life, and and that's something that that I was actually sort of hoping to to, to touch upon. Um, that added um, family pressure. I mean, for you, you you are completely happy with the way things have worked out, correct? Yeah, yeah. I think also. I think my family and my friends understand more. I try to explain more and. You know, um, they my parents are actually more much more supportive right now. You know, I know <clears throat> my parents are very strict when uh, with me when I was growing uh, when I grew up. You know, study, study, and uh, do better, do better. You can always do better. And um, I think at one point my mom actually told me it, she, she said, you know, Iran, we don't we don't say that, but you know, we're all very proud of you. Oh my gosh, it's a beautiful thing to say. That's that. Yeah. My, tears actually, my tears came out because it was quite difficult to live in a different country, you know, that do not, I don't feel the support from family, but then, you know, yeah, I think it's getting better. And um, yeah, but my, my parents do want me to get married soon. <laughs> <laughs> Understood, understood. All right, well, I think we're going to move on to recommendations and, and close this up, but uh, we definitely have to have you on for another podcast to, to talk about the, these sort of issues uh, further because they're, they're fascinating, and I think you could provide a very good um, voice for other young Chinese people who are interested in, in traveling abroad but might not want to get a good job and get married right away, which, you know, this is kind of the popular thing. All right, recommendations. Uh, Iran, do you, do you have any recommendations for us? I'm not a China Africa expert. Neither am I. <laughs> well, you are actually. <laughs> um, well, I recommend um, for Chinese uh, or Asian diaspora diasporas uh, in Congo or in east uh, east side of DRC, uh, a t 
Thai restaurant in Goma. Just name is、uh, Blue Elephant. Fantastic. What what kind of dish should should they get there? What what dishes do you recommend? Another curry thing、uh, with beef or pork or chicken is very good. If you like spicy, if not,、uh, they have very nice cashewnut、uh, chicken.、Uh, a very delicious dish. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. I will. We we had、um, a few people from. Um, based in Goma or based in、uh, East Kivu, come on! So I will make sure they know about this restaurant.、Uh, Dr. Kalu, do you have any recommendations? So I don't have an article per se, but the whole saga and drama with the Malaysian Airways flight—that I believe, as of the last reading yesterday, they've all but concluded has been hijacked. The flight that was heading from Kuala Lumpur to、uh, Beijing last week with almost. Well, just under three hundred, I believe, passengers. Well, maybe more than under, like two hundred and thirty, two hundred and forty passengers, something along those lines. That has now like just disappeared from general consciousness. I'm really intrigued by that. To be completely honest, I didn't think that we lived in a day and age that big giant airliners could be hijacked and we would lose them completely because nobody knows where it is. So my recommendation is the ongoing saga with the flight that's missing, and really, I mean, concern for the families who know nothing about their loved ones at this moment. Yeah, I, you know, during the Sichuan earthquake, I was in the U.S. My wife, Sichuanese, you know, was living through it, and all the phones were down. So I thought she was dead, and it was the worst day in my life, basically. So to have this sort of the not knowing aspect of it. For, for these families, has got to be one of, yeah, a, a frankly terrible experience and and something that I that I can can definitely empathize with,、uh, and and I really do hope that everybody's alive just in a in、yeah. Central Asia somewhere. Can you imagine just the emotional roller coaster starting with first thinking that they had crashed in the middle of the ocean and everyone was gone, to now you know. Obviously, they haven't crashed, but nobody—well, as far as we know—but nobody knows where they are, or what's happening, and then there's the, you know, the people that are on the flight with fake passports. Just so much up in the air, and so much that's unknown. Yes, it's a really, a really big deal, and, and my heart, and my heart goes out to all the, all the families. <sighs> all right. Well, yes, we. I will. I will get a link for that. Anything in particular you want me to do from Slate or from like Washington Post or New York Times? Like, there's a few like、um, things that that catch all this stuff. I mean, anyone will be fine because the information keeps changing every like half a day, so、yes. it's really hard to just pick one because、um, it would miss like all the other stuff before. All right. Well, I'll I'll slap something on there and 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 we'll go from there.、Uh, I have、uh, three recommendations. All right. So two of these recommendations are articles written by Miss、uh, Lily Guo on courts, and Lily is really cool. Like we we've communicated a few times on Twitter, and she will favorite my tweets every now and then. So I like her, and she also writes really fun fun stuff for for courts. But she wrote these two long form、um, essays, and the titles are total clickbait. So just bear with me. China is so bad at conservation that it had to launch the most impressive water pipeline project ever, and that was the the first part of 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 the essay. And the 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 second part of this essay is, 
China's desperate need for water is forcing the relocation of hundreds of thousands of people. Now, the, uh, both these pieces are really great, really well researched, and 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 talk about and and talk about the the need for Chinese water, and they help you sort of understand. They help you understand sort of China in a way that that a, a lot of pieces don't, and and the sort of issues of environmental degradation, government control, the difficulty in. You know, having a country of more than a billion people, really great pieces. They're long form. They're long reads, but seriously read them. And and Lily did a, a, an amazing job on both of them. I I really couldn't couldn't recommend it more. And and, and you know, it as someone who studied Chinese history and 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 the, the the role of large water projects in Chinese history. These are things that I I think are really fascinating. So for me, it was really cool. The last recommendation I have is so this week I went to two. Talks by Ambassador David Shin, who is one going to be a podcast guest in the future, and two is like in D.C. There's a I call it the the China Africa Triforce. So in D.C. there's three China Africa super experts. So Professor Deborah Brodigam, Ambassador David Shin, and Professor Yujung Park. So I went to two of his talks, Ambassador Shin's talks, and they were amazing. And the dude. The dude broke down so many aspects of the China-Africa relationship in, in in a really fantastic presentation. And if you ever get a chance to like listen to a lecture of his, or you want to know about China-Africa stuff, and you have like two hours, go to one of his lectures. They're amazing. He, he's like a pro at them. He does it all the time. And you know, even though I do this, I still like. And so this is you know my day job-ish kind of thing. I still learned a lot. So Master David Shin. Get his lectures up on there. Before we sign off, how do people find you on the interwebs? Do you have a website or Twitter account that you'd like to share with us? I'm talking to you, Iran. <laughs> Sorry, um, I, I, I have, I, I don't tweet. I only tweet in Weibo in Chinese. So, uh, do you, Do you want to give us the Weibo? Give us the Weibo. Well, that, that's that's fine. Uh, yeah, I can give you my Weibo. Um, uh, but I, I don't know for other listeners who do not speak Chinese. I have my LinkedIn uh, site uh, page. I, I will uh, I'll give to you uh, afterwards. You can put it on on the website. <laughs> okay, so uh, we will make sure our Chinese listeners know about your Weibo account and our foreign listeners know about your LinkedIn account. Although LinkedIn opened up in China, right? Like two weeks ago. Um, yeah, I think it works some from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, Doctor. Oh, and no website or anything besides that, or, or, or... no, that's all. Okay, well, just making sure. Doctor Kalu, how do people find you? I blog at mchemkalu.wordpress.com, also calories.rice.blogspot.com, and on the Twitter sphere, I can be found at the handle at mchemekalu. And what have you been tweeting recently? Oh, I don't know. I think Central African news and um, African conflict news really recently. There's been an unfortunate amount of conflict news, so yeah. It's, yes. Yeah, it is quite disheartening. Uh, well, I, I can be found on caloriesrice.blogspot.com and my Twitter handle is at Winslow underscore R. And, and yeah, that's that's sort of it. I met... I met a person who follows me on Twitter and listens to the podcast this week, so that was 
one of the that was a phenomenal experience. So if you do follow me on Twitter or listen to the podcast, like let me know and you will make my day. Let me get the name of the per- person I I I talked to today who followed me on Twitter. I want to give her a shout out because if she listens to the podcast, she'll listen to this. I know it's shameless, but whatever. <laughs> so uh, I I met Miss uh, Pru Ukwi. Uh, and her Twitter handle is at Reti or Reti Ting Pru. But you know who you are. Thank you so much. You made my day. I I really appreciate it. Ah, okay. Well, uh, that is about it for today's episode. We would like to thank uh, Yiran for joining us this evening from Goma, as well as African Development Jobs and the Africa Daily. This podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. Blackberry. Dot. 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 If you have any recommendations or things you would like us to cover, we are always listening, so please let us know. Uh, we're always looking to reach more media platforms in the future. We would also like to thank Mighty Mike of Pulse Recordings for composing the theme song. And thank you, dear listener, for giving us your time. Take care.